this is the first service since the new year started. So happy new year, everyone. If you're here because you made a new year's resolution, I pray for you. It works better than, than my resolutions in years past. So as Justin mentioned, today, uh, for the first service only, this is only going to happen in the first service, we are taking a six-week break from the book of Luke. And we've been in Luke forever. If you've been with Zion, <laughs> you know we've been going chapter by chapter for, I think, I think over a year now. But we're going to take a break for six weeks doing this little mini-series called Before Christ. And we'll be exploring six big moments that happen in the Old Testament, which for some of us we think is the best testament. So let's get started. We're going to kick it off today um, in Genesis. So if any of you have seen my daughter eat a bagel, um, <laughs> if any of you have seen my daughter eat a bagel, it's hard not to smile. She's two years old. If you see her eat a bagel, she's got cream cheese all over her face. It's all over her mouth, her cheeks, it's up her nose. And after thinking like, yo, this girl's got some neglectful parents, <laughs> you watch her and you kind of get a sense, you realize why she looks like that. It's because she starts eating her bagel with the best part first. And like her mom, she knows the best part of the bagel is the cream cheese. So you see her smearing the cream cheese over her face, and sometimes she doesn't even finish the bagel. She'll be like, she wants another one. She's done. She just wants more cream cheese. <laughs> she starts with the best part. And many of us have our theology and our understanding of the gospel starting with the best part, and sometimes only the best part. You know, we start with how Jesus loves us. And we are special, right? Jesus loves us. He loves us so much. He came to earth. He died for our sins. And now we have freedom and victory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But the problem is, when we start the movie, when the hero shows up, then we have no idea, or we might have very little idea of what he's saving us from, of what he's saving us from. You know, sometimes we've watched the whole movie, we know the story, but the part we keep replaying over and over again, the gospel for us starts when we win. Who doesn't want to watch that, right? But then we forget the depths of our need for God to come in the flesh for the in the first place. We forget the, our need that required God to die on our behalf. You know, it becomes easy when we forget to walk in what the theologian Diedrich Bonhoeffer used to call cheap grace. You know, cheap grace is when we walk because Jesus has conquered it all. We can do whatever we want, right? <laughs> we are under grace. We can live however we want. Either that or we end up walking in a gospel of works where we know the gospel. Jesus has conquered it all and that's done and now it's up to us to fix ourselves. It's up to us to change our sin. See, we forget our condition. We forget how helpless we were. We forget and we don't remember that ultimately we're sinful beings at the mercy of our creator. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I mentioned it already. We're going to be in Genesis. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. So before we read, as many of us know, chapters 1 and 2, uh, included in that first book of our Bibles, 
depict God's creation of the world. It says that he created heaven and earth and land and ocean. He creates space, and then he fills it with stars. He fills it with animals and plants. Um, and of course, he creates the first human. Now, there's two accounts of the creation of humans. There's two accounts, one in chapter, end of chapter one, one in chapter two. The first account tells us that God's intention for the design of humans is that they are to be made in his image. That humans were to be made different than the animals. They were to be made in the image of God. And many of us love to quote this to talk about how much value every person has, right? Everyone's made in the image of God, so we have inherent value. But the larger meaning of being made with God's image is that we were made to be God's representation on earth. We are his image on earth. That's a little hard to understand. So the best way that I thought of it was if anyone has ever played video games. You guys like playing video games? Um, when you play video games with any kind of story, you have to create like an avatar, right? You have to create a representation of you in that game, in that video game world. That's who you're gonna be. If you don't know what an avatar is, I know you played Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> Super Mario, Mario was your representation in the game. If you were a second born child, Luigi, <laughs> Luigi <laughs> was your representation. Y'all know, y'all know. <laughs> that's who we were, well that's who we are. We are created as Luigi's <laughs> of God <laughs> to represent him in this created earth and to rule, have dominion over all the other animals. Now the second account of human creation is more specific in that we learn that before God creates the first man, he also creates a garden for man. He designs this garden and he puts the first man he creates in there and he tells the man, hey, there's two trees in there. There's the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he warns the man, hey, don't eat from that tree because if you eat from it, you're gonna die. The minute he gives Adam that command, I kind of picture Adam's, Adam's looking over at that tree <laughs> and God says, this is not good. This is not good. And God creates a helper for him and he names woman. And I wanna make it clear that word translated in English as helper is not helper like a subservient role. That same word is the word that is used to describe God in the Old Testament for Israel. God is Israel's helper, and woman was created to be man's helper. It says at the end of each era of creation, God stops, he observes, sees what he has made was good. And by the end of the sixth day, it says that what he saw was that it was very good. God was really happy with what he had made. Everything was great. This is a high point that we're gonna start off Genesis chapter three. We are reading the whole chapter, so bear with me. Chapter three, I'll be reading from the ESV. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst 
of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And he said to Adam, oh, and to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was a mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's pray. Father, pray that we can sense your presence here with us today. We pray that you will help open our hearts, that you will convict us and teach us the things that you desire for us to know. Lord, may I be your mouthpiece and may you speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now before we get into details, 
We have to remember that the accounts in Scripture, every account, every story in Scripture is significant. Every single one. Uh, Paul wrote that all Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is profitable for us. And I say this knowing we got genealogies with names we can't pronounce, laws that are tedious to read. Every account is significant. Don't gloss over it. So then when we read passages in Scripture, we have to keep in our mind, why did God inspire this? Why is this included? Why does he want me to read this? And in today's passage, there's a temptation for us to read this as well as the earlier chapters in Genesis, some kind of scientific explanation for the origins of the world. And many in the past probably would have quoted this passage to explain why snakes don't have legs. But the intention of these passages is not so much scientific theory. It's more about helping his people, helping us understand our spiritual condition. I would actually say that I feel like this is included in our scriptures so that we would understand our need for Christ, so that we would understand the gospel. So in light of that, what do we see in this passage is the origin of human sin. The first humans rebelled against God. They disobeyed a command that he had explicitly given to them. And the consequences of that disobedience was catastrophic. We're going to get to that, but there's three things we're going to touch on today about sin. Three things. The first thing we're going to talk about is that sin will creep up in private before it manifests itself in public. Sin's going to creep up. It's going to show up through a process before it fully manifests to where we can see it. Now notice that the first thing that occurs is a seemingly private conversation between a serpent, clearly up to no good, and the first woman. Now we know in verse 6 that the man was also there. He was right there, but the conversation doesn't seem to involve him. The tempter specifically addresses the woman. Now, many people might say, oh, it's because she's the weaker one. That's why he went for her. But the tempter, the serpent, said he was crafty. So it's possible that the tempter went for the woman because he knew that if he took out man's help, he took out the helper of man, the man would be defenseless. That's exactly what happened. The man didn't even have to have a conversation. The woman fell and immediately the man fell after. One of the reasons why they fell is because they had no knowledge of evil. They had no knowledge of who it was they were speaking with. Now, think of, the, think of children when they're given access to social media before they know of the dangers that's, that's out there. Think of adults when we engage in some flirtatious DMs before we realize we're entangled an emotional or sexual relationship we shouldn't be in. You know, we can be naive about sin. We can be naive of the fact that sin is creeping up in private before it manifests in public. It'll creep up internally when we're unaware, when we're naive, when we're defenseless. 
sin will creep up when we're engaging with voices that, we, that aren't the voice of God. And this happens so often, not because we think we're, we're seeking counsel from evil, but often because we're looking for advice from our friends. Notice the serpent presents himself as her friend. God didn't really say that. You're not going to die. God is holding out on you. He sounds like he's on Eve's side. And he immediately shows Eve how gods are the enemy. God's on the other side. And Eve, in her naivety, engages. She listens to him. She considers. The sad thing is sometimes even our loved ones with the best of intentions can steer us away from God's intentions for us, steer us away from God's commands. You know, the woman was not trying to harm her husband. She was not trying to harm the man. She ate the fruit. This is delicious. So she gave it. So she shared it. And yet, that was against what God had commanded. Both times, both times, someone could have said, hold up, wait. Let me check with God. Hold on, serpent. Let, let me just confirm with God. The man could have said, wait, Eve. But he didn't. See, we must be careful, church, as we take care of each other. We have to be careful that, we, that as sin is creeping about, as we counsel one another, that we don't counsel from our own wisdom. We have to be so careful that as we counsel and care, that we go with the people in need straight to God. We go with them to the throne of God so that we can plead and hear and receive mercy together because we can be slipping. You know, another example, you know we're all supposed to be going to the doctor. We're all supposed to be going to the dentist for checkups, right? And many of us neglect that. <laughs> That's a confession for me. We neglect these things that are supposed to keep us in good health. And then when we're really sick and then our teeth are falling out, that's when we show up. Many of us treat our spiritual health the same way. Same way, we'll seek out the voices instead of going to prayer, instead of seeking the scriptures for answers. That's hard, let me, let me text my friend. Let me call my friend up who's going to affirm me, affirm me in my sin. Because I know if I go to God, he's going to correct me. If I know, I know if I read the word, he's going to correct me. Until, so we neglect that relationship with God until we really need him. And then we're begging on our knees for him to hear and we're apologizing again. Sorry, Lord, I haven't been keeping up with you. Please help me now. I need help now. See, we will flirt with temptation. We will make tasteless jokes with our friends until it manifests into hurting and dishonoring others. Making a sexist joke is not too far from putting down your husband or beating your wife. We got to watch our steps Make sure we're not on a slippery slope. You know, church, we have to do as God has called us to do in the scriptures, to meditate on his word, to pray unceasingly. Don't stop praying. Abide in him. Keep gathering with the body. Think of things. Set our minds on that which is true, honorable, pure, lovely. 
think about these things. If the woman and the man had been seeking God's voice, if they had been thinking, hey, what's really true? What's honorable? Let me meditate on what God had told us. Maybe they would have caught themselves. They would have caught themselves before they took that bite. Sin creeps up on us in private before it manifests in public. Now, a second thing we learn about sin from this account is that sin has deformed and ruined our experience of life. Sin has changed how we were supposed to live. One of the things that happens when we skip the origins of the gospel, the hard parts of our depravity, one of the things that happen is that we don't remember that much of the struggle we experience day to day is a consequence of that time in Eden, is a consequence of sin. Once the first humans turn their backs on God, bad things happen. The serpent gets cursed. It starts off, the serpent was the craftiest of all creatures. Now he's the lowest. Now he's eating their dust. The woman is going to have severe pain in childbearing. And that word childbearing it includes more than labor. It includes conception. The woman will now have severe pain in trying to conceive children. And all the nine months of pregnancy, all the way through childbirth. You know, we don't talk about these things. We don't talk about infertility, miscarriages, trauma from induction, C-sections, lacerations, risk of death, bleeding. We don't talk about these things, but we have to talk about it. Because we have to not only validate the pain, but also affirm this is not how it was supposed to be. It's not the experience the woman was supposed to have. It's a reminder that we still suffer the consequences of sin in our world. God continues. He tells the woman that her desire will be toward the man. Now the ESV adds some words. It says to be, uh, it will be contrary to the man, but the literal translation that her desire will be toward him. God uses the same word when he warns Cain later about sin. He says, be careful, because sin desires to have you. In Song of Solomon, the, the lover loves his beloved. He desire, his desire was toward her. Now, instead of partner, instead of the partner relationship she has with man, the woman's desire will be for him. It, she will long for him. And now instead of ruling the animals as partners, woman and man created as the image of God to have dominion over the animals, instead of that, now man is going to rule over her. Her position as the helper of man is now brought down. She's lost her position. She messed up. She didn't protect man. She didn't help man. Now he's going to rule over her. And this is her consequence. Do you remember when God created man? What did man, how did man call her? He said, this, this, now, this is bone of my bones. This is flesh of my flesh. We are the same. We are the same. But now, because of the curse, no longer. There's discord, unevenness. There's a struggle for power. Misogyny, the objectification of women by both women and men pandering for men's acceptance, the abuse that it led to. Church, this was never how it was supposed to be. 
It was never supposed to be this way. Sin has deformed our experience of life. Sin has deformed our relationships with one another. Sin has deformed us bearing children. Our continuation of the human race is coming through pain. Now for the man, the consequence for man is that the ground is now cursed for him. The ground is cursed. Instead of a beautiful garden with fruit that was easy and good for him to eat, now eating was going to be hard. Now eating was going to be hard. Acquiring food to support himself, it's going to be a struggle to stay alive. The man must work in order to do so. You know, many of us experience this struggle of the daily grind. The daily grind, every single day, we gotta work. Some of us even work on weekends. We gotta work to pay rent. We gotta work to buy groceries. We gotta work, we gotta struggle. It don't matter if we like our job or not, it has to happen. It has to happen. And this is the curse that came upon the man. You know, many of us dream about how nice it would be to win the lotto. We don't gotta work anymore. Why is that a dream? Because we don't like work. We don't like work. It becomes hard to eat. And the quality of our food has gone down. God said that uh, now the man and the woman have to eat the plants of the field. No longer the fruit of the garden. The plants of the field. It's like we were eating the organic good stuff from Whole Foods. And now we're condemned to eat that produce that's around the corner in the bodega that they marked down <laughs> because it's going bad. That's where we're at. That was the curse. We had it good. We had it good. We had it good, and God wanted us to have it good. And now we don't. Now we don't. You know, many of us can't even conceive of this life in Eden because we're so used to this grind, you know? We don't realize it. This is part of the curse. It was not supposed to be this way. It was not supposed to be this way. Sin has ruined, sin has deformed our experience of life. And as a final, final consequence of both the man and the woman, they no longer had access to the tree of life, which would have allowed us to live forever. Death came indeed for the humans, as did grief sorrow, the sting of death when our loved ones pass. Death was not supposed to be here either. And the man and woman, the humans, were now frail and vulnerable. They were cast out to make their own food and eventually die. Church, we have to be wary of the consequences of sin that we live with. We have to validate the pain that women go through and support them when they're conceiving and giving birth to children. We have to validate the pain of work and the struggle to survive and encourage one another and help each other and support each other. You know, God said that the poor will always be here. Why? Because life is hard. You know, men and women understand, know that the relationship that we have with the other gender is broken. It's not how God had intended. So honor one another. Honor one another. Support those who are grieving loved ones who died and those who are facing death. Sin has changed our experience. And we gotta do this together. 
Now our third truth about sin is that sin ultimately begets sin. Sin makes more sin. There was a, a bumper sticker I read once before I had kids that I thought was really cute. Maybe you've heard of it. The bumper sticker said, mean people make little mean people. And I thought, that is so cute. This is before I had kids. This is so little mean people running around. That is cute. That is cute, right? Less cute now. Less cute now. <laughs> but it's true. We pass on what we are. And we'd like to think that what happened in Eden was in the past and that that's done with, right? But the truth is that after they, they disobeyed God, they ate that fruit. The sin continued and the sin increased. The narrative wasn't over. You know, man and woman tried to hide their disobedience. The man said he ran away from God. God, I ran away because I was naked and I was afraid. Well, you got those loincloths. <laughs> you got those leaves that you put over yourself. I mean, they were working pretty well until you heard God. See, we all know the man knew he was exposed way more than physically. He was exposed, and when he went to hide, he wasn't hiding his, his body. He was trying to hide his sin. And when God offers him a chance to confess, did you do this? They cast blame away. The man throws the woman under the bus. The woman blames the serpent. They don't confess. They don't confess. If we skip forward in the book of Genesis, in the next generation of humans, sin will manifest into jealousy and murder. Second generation, you got murder. And it increases, it continues to increase in the later chapters so much that God regrets creating humans at all. At that point is when he sends a great flood, but he spares Noah. He sends a flood to cleanse the earth of all the wickedness. And I love, I love how sometimes we read stories and we teach them to our children and there's this happy ending, right? There's this happy ending at the end of that chapter where it's like God causes the floods to cease, Noah saved, family saved, the animals are saved, there's a rainbow. <laughs> it's a happy ending, right? I want to read to you what the scriptures say. God said, God was thinking in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. God knew that sin was not over with. God knew that the flood did not wash away the sin. The sin that entered the world with that one bite reproduced and multiplied. It was like a cancer that continued to infect every human that came after. Murder multiplied and turned into war. The desire for greatness and disregard for God multiplied into idolatry and false religion multiplied into televangelists. Paul quoted the Psalms when he wrote to the Romans, reminding them all have turned aside, all of us, no one does good, no one, no one's seeking for God, not anymore. Not the Pharisee, not the tax collector, not the priest, not the Pope. Not the prostitute, not the pastor, not the preacher. None of us do good. Sin. Sin has produced more sin, which has produced more death. And it doesn't matter if we live the cushiest life on earth. 
It doesn't matter if we avoided all that hard work and we were trust fund babies in a mansion in Diker Heights. It doesn't matter because death will come for us. And death is a reminder that the sin that occurred so long ago is still continuing today. Sin begets sin. There's been increasing sin. Truly, we are sinful beings experiencing the consequences of sin, and we're at the mercy of our Creator. And yet, even in this tragic narrative, we see glimmers. We see glimmers of who this Creator God is. A couple of years ago, um, Zion did this thing. I checked with Winnie. I think it was during the pandemic. Zion did this thing because we're a creative church, we did this thing on Instagram where we would have people in our stories submit questions. And then someone in the church, one of our people would answer it live. So the answers would be posted on the Instagram stories. And I was doing the Q&A about the Bible. And I'll never forget this. One of the questions that came in asked, what would you say to someone who struggles to to reconcile the angry God of the Old Testament with the loving God of the New Testament. And the moment I read that question, I knew. I was like, this person hasn't read the Bible. This person hasn't read the entire Bible because had they read the entire Old Testament, had they read the entire New Testament, they would have seen God's mercy and love and patience and loving kindness all over the text, all over the text, and it's here too. It's here too, from his warning to the man, don't eat from the tree, that would kill him, to God seeking out of his humans, when they were hiding in their sin, from God offering an opportunity to confess, not like he didn't know, hey, did you do this, to creating clothes for them, from animal skins, from skins of the other creatures that he loved to create so that they could hide their shame, from the fact, the mere fact that God does not declare woman infertile, the fact that he did not say, this is the end of the human race, that's it, I'm done. But the fact that he tells her, hey, you're going to bear children, which leads to man renaming her to Eve, mother of all living. She has a new purpose that's clear now. Our creator God is no ordinary God. The gods that the humans in other cultures have made up are, if you read their stories, their myths, they're petty, they're moody. They're immature and they use their powers in reckless ways. Like think of the Greek gods uh, and their dramas and think of the Hindu gods and, and all their stories. But the true God who created the universe and dwelled in a garden with his humans, that true God shows mercy, kindness, and protection in the midst of rebellion. In the midst of the mess that his humans have made, he's there making clothes. This is God who created the sun and the stars and space, and he's making clothes. Do you guys understand this? Do you guys understand what God is doing because of his love for his people who have messed up, who have messed up? We live naive of this fact. We live naive of this fact of sin, of what we have done 
to ourselves. We forget that we're experiencing the consequences of sin every day, and that this experience of struggle and toil is not how God intended for us to live. When Jesus came, he came as light in our darkness, not only to break this curse of sin, not only with the promise of a new earth that will not be cursed, not only of a hope with a, of a future with no pain, no tears, no illness, no death, not only all these things Jesus came with, but also with the offer of a reconciliation between us and God. See, when we understand where we were at, when we understand our condition, then, then we understand the climax of the movie. Then we understand why Jesus came. God never stopped loving us. God never stopped loving us. It's the same God from beginning to end. We praise God for that. We praise him for that. We praise him for who he is. If you feel the Lord calling you to come to him, there is something that you want to lift up to God that you're struggling to do by yourself, we're going to have people in the back ready and willing to pray with you. You don't need to face this life alone. You don't need to face this life alone. He's here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you had such mercy, that you have such mercy, and you continue to have such mercy upon your people. Thank you, Lord, that you forgive us. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus, who took away our sin. Father, we love you. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.